right. I want to do a quick review from last week, from what we studied last week. What is the new series we're going through right now? Defending God's word and being nice about it at the same time. Okay, that was kind of the main point. What's the study called? Apologetics. Yes, apologetics. Really an intro to apologetics. So this is just like, just getting started. There's so much you could go into it with an apologetics, and I don't have the amount of time in five weeks here to go into all the depths of apologetics that we can get to. But um, what is a good definition of apologetics? Can someone remember or recall, or maybe you wrote it down, or what, what is a good definition of apologetics? Yeah, Noah. Yeah, defending your hope in a respectful way. That's a great definition, yeah. Yeah, last week I, I gave some definitions that I, I thought were really, um, that were great definitions. I said this, it's the study and practice of giving answers for the reasonableness and truth of the Christian faith. Or another definition is a verbal defense, or it's a reply to a formal charge, or it's an answer. Okay, so what was the main passage that we turned to and that I had you guys... Think about start memorizing for 315. Yes. Can anyone recite it to me yet? Yes. Gentleness and respect. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. So start memorizing that um, because at the end of this study, if you memorize it, I will give you some candy, okay? Um, a little incentive, right? Yes. How much candy? A handful. As big as my hand can grab. <laughs> yes, Noah. Um, I don't know. What kind of candy do you guys want? Do you want a big bag of chocolate? Skittles, huh? Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about that later later on in our studies, cause cause right now uh, you guys need to start studying it and preparing yourself for that. All right. A few other questions before we get started. Of review. How should we always make a defense? Um, Noah said it. Yes, Emma. Gently and respectfully, yes. And who was the great example that we talked about last week? Yeah, Emma. Christ. Christ, yeah. Christ is, he was full of grace and truth. Um, and he really did everything full of grace and truth. He did everything gently, respectfully, really with love. But then he also called out sin. And when he called out sin, really calling out sin is love. Um, telling the truth is love. Um, and so we need to follow the example that Jesus Christ has given to us. This morning, we're going to be talking about probably the one, of, one of the most important things that we need to be able to defend in the Christian faith, um, in our faith. So um, today we're going to be covering the key doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we can't defend this, I mean, what grounds do we have to stand on with, on our faith? Um, so th this, this doctrine we're talking about is vitally important to be able to defend. So um, real quickly here, before we get into it, how would you defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Before we, I give you all the answers. How would you defend that Jesus actually rose from the grave? That he's alive? How would you defend that? 
if someone came to you and said, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe he's risen. I believe he's still dead. How would you say, you're wrong. This is why. Yeah, those are great points. Yeah, he rolled, the stone was rolled away, which meant what? There was, Someone the tomb was, tomb was empty, yeah. There was nothing there, yeah. And what, what else did you say you said? And the appearances. appearances to other people. So yeah, eyewitnesses. eyewitnesses. That's great, yeah, Emma. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of people will give their reasonings to why they think they believe that Jesus is not alive, that he's not risen, that he didn't rise from the dead, um, but we can debunk every single one of those. And we're going to talk about a few of those even this morning. Um, so our faith, really the reason why we are here this morning, okay, we would not be here this morning unless it was, unless the resurrection, or we would not be here this morning if the resurrection did not happen. So really our faith hinges on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there would be no reason to come to church. There would be no reason to be in equipped class. There would be no reason to be here. But Christ rose from the grave, and we have every reason to be here this morning to worship him and to learn more about him. Um, so turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be turning to a lot of different passages of Scripture this morning. So please Sorry. stay with me. Turn quickly. Let me erase some of this. First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15 verses 14 through 19. Can I have someone read that for us nice and loud? 14 through 19. Emma, can you, yeah, nice and loud. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, we are of all people most to be pitied. Awesome. So this passage of Scripture really talks about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So apart from the resurrection of Christ, okay, this passage says we have no Savior, okay, we have no salvation, no eternal life, and really no hope of eternal life. Um, Paul said here in this passage, he said our faith would be useless, the gospel would be altogether powerless, okay? And our sins would remain unforgiven. That's what Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture. Really shows the importance of the 
resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection of Christ, really, this whole, this whole book is up to question, okay? It's up to question because the resurrection didn't happen. Jesus said that he would rise. If it didn't happen, everything that he said is up to question, but he did rise. So the resurrection is either one of the most wicked, heartless, vicious, practical jokes ever, or it's the most fantastic fact in all of history. The truth, this is um, John MacArthur, he says this, the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would matter much. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place alongside all other human philosophy and religious speculations. He goes on to say this, without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Jesus' death is meaningless. It's just another death. Charles Spurgeon said this, Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die. And he goes on to say this, I risk my whole eternity on the resurrection. One cannot claim to be a Christian unless he believes in this central doctrine. If you say you're a Christian, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through Four, right? This is a Christian. It's someone who believes that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. A Christian is someone who believes Jesus, his life, Jesus' death, his burial, and the resurrection. So I want to look at an account of the resurrection. So the resurrection is shown in all four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're going to turn to Mark 16 this morning, and we're going to look at the account of the resurrection. Mark 16, and we're going to look, and we'll, we'll look at two different accounts, um, but the one account we'll use more as proof of the resurrection. Mark 16, verses 1 through 13. Mark 16, Verses 1 through 13. Can I have someone read verses 1 through 8? Emma, you want to read that one? And then can I have someone read 9 through 13? Can someone read 9 through 13? I would love to. I want somebody else. Yeah. Anyone else? 9 through 13. You guys are already there? Yes. Yeah. So, Emma, can you start us out nice and loud? Verses 1 through 8. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. 
Verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had passed seven days. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that she was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, she appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Awesome. So that's just one of four accounts that is written of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I like Mark 16 there just for a few reasons, but uh, we can talk about them here in a second. But when we're defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would always, and really this is everything in apologetics, I would always start with scripture and really start with, and really we should, next in two weeks, we're gonna be talking about the reliability of scripture, that it's infallible and how to defend that. Um, and really you should start with defending that so they know that, hey, the Bible is true, it's infallible, there are no errors in it, um, it's written by God alone. Um, so always start with scripture. So how would you, actually we just talked about this. Um, so I won't ask that question again. Uh, this morning I wanna show you how to defend with the overwhelming proof that Jesus Christ did exactly as he predicted he would. He said he would rise again multiple times, right? Um, that on the third day he rose from the dead. Acts 1-3 states this, states this, after Jesus' suffering, after his death, after his, or his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus was doing apologetics after he was risen, right? He went to, he went to different people, proving them, giving them really reason to believe that he was alive. That's exactly what I intend to do this morning. I'm going to show you three pieces of evidence, okay, that you can use to defend this key doctrine, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that when taken together as a whole, okay, will provide very convincing proof that Jesus rose from the dead. So the first proof, we'll say, have you guys ever done math proofs yet? Those are the worst. This is not a math proof, okay? Uh, we'll say proof one. We'll say proof one, okay? Is the empty tomb, okay? Proof one is the empty tomb, okay? Really, how do you explain the empty tomb, okay? Really is proof one. So look at Mark 16 again. Look at Mark 16, one through... I'll read this real quickly again here, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, Jesus. They were anointing Jesus, who they thought was dead. Verse 2, and very early on in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from this entrance of the tomb? The stone was massive, okay? It was probably thousands of pounds, this stone was, and not one or two people could roll this stone away. It was huge. They set it there so no one would move it, okay? Um, that's why they did. Uh, and looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. There it is. It is very large. 
And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. It wasn't Jesus, okay? It was someone dressed in a white robe. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who, they, who was crucified, who, who was dead just a few days ago. He says he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Like they, they, he, pretty much pointing to the place where they laid him. He's not there. The linens are still there, which we'll talk about in a second. But he's not there, okay? The angel goes on to say, but go tell his disciples, tell Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, that you will see him just as he told you. And they went out from, and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So it wasn't Jesus in the tomb, like I said. It was an angel in a white robe who declared this, do not be alarmed, you seek the Really, the man who is dead, was dead, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's alive. He is not here. So after Jesus was crucified, um, they took his corpse, okay? They took his corpse off the cross. I mean, it was dead. Uh, there was no, no life in Jesus. They took his corpse off the cross. They wrapped it in linens, white linens, and placed his corpse in a solid rock tomb, okay, and be really behind a large boulder that many men had to move. It took many men to move that large boulder that blocked the entrance to the tomb. So Jesus couldn't just walk out, okay? They, they were afraid that maybe, maybe the disciples would steal the body of Jesus, okay? They were afraid that someone would come and take Jesus or, or Jesus, if he wasn't fully dead, that he would just walk out of the tomb, but Jesus was dead. He, there was no life in his body. It was a corpse. It was a dead body. It was kind of like, a, I don't know, like a noodle, like a pool noodle. There's nothing in, there's no life in a pool noodle, okay? It just kind of falls over, okay? That's kind of what a corpse will do. It just kind of falls over because there's no life in it, okay? That was Jesus. He was dead. He was dead. The next day, in order that the body may not be stolen... Pilate told the Pharisees, he told them this. He said, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So the Pharisees did exactly that, right? They sealed the stone with a seal. And really, whoever broke that seal would be in big, big trouble with the law, would be in big, big trouble with those in authority. They put a seal on the stone and they placed guards outside the tomb. And these guards are not just your average Joe police guy who eats a donut, right? These guys are fit guys. They can fight. Uh, they can defend. They can do all that kind of stuff. So these guys were probably the best of the best in the land. These guards were stationed outside the tomb to keep watch over the body for at least three days in order to keep others from stealing the body of Jesus. Because they knew Jesus said that he would rise from the grave three days later. So they said, let's guard it for three days, okay? So he doesn't come out, so no one steals the body and says he's risen. This, com this, um, this completely goes in the face of those who argue the theft theory that Jesus was actually stolen. Um, I mean, he, he places people there specifically so that man does not go and steal the body of Jesus, okay? 
So in spite of all these precautions, the stone, the big stone, the guards that were placed in front of the tomb, and the seal that was put on the tomb, the tomb was empty on that morning. So when the first people arrived to peer into the tomb, they saw one thing. They saw the blood-stained burial cloths, the blood-stained linens. As John's account says in John, I think it's John 20, his account, it says he, Simon Peter, saw the linens lying there, okay? And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, they were bloody, okay, because Jesus' body was bloody, so the linens were laying there, and he says, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So these linen cloths were folded in a place by itself. They were probably bloody, but they were there, and Jesus was not there. So the evidence, this is a famous theologian, he's saying this, so the evidence concerning the resurrection is the empty tomb. That's the first proof is the empty tomb. How do you explain that? And there's no other explanation for the empty tomb than a resurrection, right? The Jews didn't steal his body, this theologian goes on to say. The Romans didn't steal his body. The apostles didn't steal his body. The women didn't steal his body. The, his enemies had no reason to steal his body and fabricate a resurrection. This theologian goes on to say his friends didn't even believe in a resurrection. And nor would they steal his body, fabricate a false resurrection, and then go out and die as martyrs for a phony, false resurrection. The angels give the only possible explanation, and it's there in Mark 16. As the angel told those ladies, he said, He is risen. He is not here. See the place, the linens, they're folded, right? He is not here anymore. He is risen. So, to conclude this first proof, the empty tomb is a powerful, powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Critics down the years um, have not been able to refute this truth, that the empty tomb, or that the tomb was empty that morning. How, how do they go on to explain that? Instead, they come up with all these type of possibilities, Right? Maybe the disciples stole the body, which we've talked about. Maybe the religious leaders disposed of the body. But this has some serious flaws in it. If the religious leaders stole the body, if they removed the body, all they would have to do is parade the corpse of Jesus down the streets of Jerusalem and say, He's dead. The king is dead. And they would have derailed Christianity from the very start. But they didn't do that. But they couldn't produce the body. Because the body was no longer dead. The body was not in the tomb. Jesus had been risen. It was the one silent, infallible witness is the empty tomb. Critics cannot explain it away. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then where is his body? Leaders of every other religion died and stayed dead, okay? Muhammad died. All these people died. But Jesus rose from the grave. These religious leaders, their bones are decaying in the ground. Jesus is risen. He claimed that he would rise from the dead on the third day, and that's exactly what he 
did the empty tomb validates his claim. So that's proof one, is the empty tomb. Proof two. Proof two is the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses. Or you could say, yeah, I'll just say the eyewitnesses. Um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I should have had you stay there. <laughs> Sorry. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be in verses 3 through 8. I read a little bit of it to you this morning already, but we're going to continue on with that passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Can someone read that for us? Verse 3 going down to verse 8. Someone who hasn't read. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 3 through 8. Yep. Who is that one untimely born? Do you guys know? Paul, yeah. It was the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul saw the risen Christ. Okay. Where, where did he see the risen Christ? On the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus. Yeah. It's here that he was saved too late. So he would have been told the apostles because Christ already ascended yep. by then. But through a miraculous appearance, Christ revealed himself to Paul in accordance with divine purpose. Paul was never an apostle. Yep. That's what it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So Paul wrote here. That himself, okay, himself, Peter, right, um, and some other apostles, James, and more than 500 people at one time had seen the resurrected Christ. 500 people. How do you refute these eyewitnesses? How do you refute the multiple witnesses that saw Jesus risen? They saw the scars in his hands and his feet. The most outstanding proof that Jesus rose from the dead is that more than 500 eyewitnesses saw him risen and on 12 different occasions. Acts 1.3 says this. I read it earlier. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering, after his death, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days before his ascension, and speaking about the kingdom of God, Jesus gave proof after proof after proof through appearing to person after person after person, right? I mean, you look at the example of Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Thomas didn't believe that Jesus had risen until what? He saw the scars. He saw the scars. He put his hands in Jesus' scars. And then he believed, you, you have risen, okay? That's doubting Thomas there, Right? So Jesus gave proof after proof and appeared to many people and gave them reason without a doubt that he is alive. 
So that proof one is the empty tomb. Proof two is the eyewitnesses. The last proof that we're going to talk about today. And there's so many, so many more proofs that we could talk about by the resurrection, by the resurrection of Christ. There we go. Um, but we don't have the time to get to those. These are the most important ones, I think. Proof three is the changed lives. The changed lives. All right, turn with me to Galatians 1.13. Galatians 1.13. And this is where we'll end today. Galatians 1.13. Galatians 1.13. And I'll read this because I want to read. I want to read down through a little bit through chapter 2 as well. Galatians 1.13. It says this. Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Who are we talking about here? Paul. Who's talking? Paul. Good. The Apostle Paul. So we've heard of his former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Okay. Paul goes on. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father, of my fathers. But when he, Jesus, who had, who had sent, set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except G James, the Lord's brother, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and, and um, Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. We could go on. I don't want to continue on because we don't have any time, but we could go on through chapter 2, verse 10. And this is really the testimony of the Apostle Paul, right? This is the Apostle Paul giving his testimony from where he was before Christ, which was what? Yeah, killing Christians, persecuting Christians, to what was he after Christ? He was a preacher, yeah. He was a missionary. What was that? Yes. Yeah, he did. Um, but that's, that's, an that's a proof, right? The changed lives. He went from killing Christians to evangelizing. And then dying. Right? And then dying because of his faith. Yes. Um, so this is the testimony of Paul. Jesus' disciples, they were including Paul. Well, Actually, just Jesus' disciples here were in a state of panic and utter depression after the crucifixion. After Jesus died, they kind of hid away. Uh, they were scared. They didn't know what was coming for them. Um, even Peter, who earlier 
had insisted that he was ready to die for Jesus. He said that many times. Um, but he lost heart, as we know, and denied Jesus how many times? Three, three times. He denied Jesus three times. But the apostles went through a dramatic change after the resurrection. Okay, they went into hiding after Jesus died. Okay, because they didn't know what was going to happen to them. But after they knew that Jesus had risen from the grave, there was a dramatic change that happened in their lives. Soon they were courageously standing face to face with the ones who crucified their Savior. They were standing face to face. Their spirit was like a, like a lion almost. They were ready to go out and to declare this message that they had been given. They became an unstoppable force in their determination to obey the risen Christ and to go into all nations and preach the gospel, right? I mean, even from threats of imprisonment to threats of torture and death did not stop them. So you ask yourselves, really, why? Really, why would these guys die for a lie? They saw the risen Christ. They knew that he had risen and that really changed their entire lives and made them zealous, made them, you know, want to go out and share the gospel no matter what was coming for them, whether that was imprisonment, whether that was torture, or whether that was ultimately death. And we look at the disciples. You look at Peter. Peter, according to church, his, or according to church history, all these guys, Peter was crucified upside down, Right? Andrew was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, he was killed by the sword. He was beheaded. John, the son of Zebedee, he died a natural death, but still he went out and preached the gospel. He was probably imprisoned many times, probably persecuted as well. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was flayed alive. It means it's like they're cutting off layers of skin. Yeah. Layer by layer. Really painful if you're still alive and aware that it's happening. Yep. Thomas, Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas was pierced by a spear. You look at, you go farther, okay? You go back into church history and you see guys who have been killed for their faith. Uh, one of my, well, one of my favorite theologians, the guy that lived in his house before him in Scotland, he was drugged through the street of Scotland behind a horse and carriage and was killed because he was drugged, you know, because of the torture that he went through there because of his faith, because of his changed life, because Jesus had changed his life. You look at Jim Elliot, right? He was killed by the spear. Um, many people we could turn to. And still today, people are persecuted for their faith around the world. Um, so we look at these three proofs, right? When someone asks you, you know, why do you believe or why, why was, or, you know, I don't believe, maybe they say, I don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. I believe he's still dead. Why do you believe that he is risen? And here's your proofs. The empty tomb, how do you refute that? Okay, they may say people stole him. You can go on to say there was no reason to steal him. His disciples were in hiding, okay? The religious leaders didn't want to steal him. Um, because really, they could have, and they could have paraded his body around the town, but they didn't. Where was his body? It was risen. The eyewitnesses, the many eyewitnesses that saw him, over 500 people. How do you refute that? 
and the changed lives. I, when I talk about eyewitnesses, I like to talk about you know, eyewitnesses in a court case, okay? The more eyewitnesses you have in a court case, really, I mean, you only need like one or two, really, for the judge to, you know, come down and say, okay, you're right. These eyewitnesses say this, okay, that's what actually happened, okay? 500 of them. Imagine 500 and getting up on the stand and saying their case of seeing the risen Christ, okay? And the changed lives. Um, how do you refute those proofs. Um, so that's really the resurrection of Christ. That's how we defend the resurrection of Christ. We look at these three proofs. We talk about the empty tomb. We talk about the many eyewitnesses and the changed lives. And those passages of scripture that we turn to today are great passages of scripture to turn to when explaining these three proofs. Um, let me pray. And then you guys are dismissed. What time is it? Yeah, we're over. We're three minutes over. Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for these students in this room. Lord, I especially thank you for um, that the grave was empty on that Sunday morning, um, that you rose from the grave, Lord, and that really you've changed our lives. Those of us who believe in you, who put our faith and trust in you, you've completely changed our lives from spiritual death to spiritual life. Lord, we thank you for that. Um, Lord, I pray that as we go out from this place, we go into the world, Lord, that you will give us the strength, the courage, um, and just the wisdom as we go about maybe different conversations with friends or family who uh, um, do not believe in you. And maybe sharing uh, the proofs here that we learned this morning that you did rise from the grave. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time in your word as we got to uh, hear it from Pastor Rich this morning. Lord, we love you. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you.